My name is Matt Brown. Sick reference, though, bro. Oh, thanks, bro. Dude, your references are out of control. Everyone knows that. And let's start the show. Oh, this is heavy. Greatest fans and listeners in the world. The world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Monday, October 3rd. It's October 3rd, 2022. And my goodness, our show today is going to be hard hitting, incredible, and a lot of fun as per usual. But before we get to our guests, before I tell you about the weekend, I was the wedding I was at over the weekend before I give little thoughts here and there on the world and then some I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com and don't forget to check us out in the world of social media we're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast Twitter at ProdConvoPod and we're on TikTok at Productive Conversations plus check us out on Reddit at Productive Conversations Podcast. You can check us out on YouTube Shorts. You can check us out on Facebook. And we'd like to thank Alex DeJesus for making all of this amazing content possible. So it was a great weekend indeed. And let me say one thing. When I spoke with Danny Lynch now two weeks ago, we talked about weddings being a hassle. And even if they are low-key a hassle to get to and all the things you have to do to make it possible. It is a hassle, but I low-key take that back as well. It is a hassle to get everything together, get your gift, get to the place if it's a destination wedding, um, get dressed nice, you know, do all these things that are hassles in general in life, wedding or not. But once you're there, it is worth every damn penny, and I want to make that clear. I absolutely had a wonderful time at Ryan Melissa's wedding and it may have cost a lot and it may have caused me stress to figure out how I'm gonna get there and how I was gonna produce what I had to produce with you know the very small amount of cash I have I just want to thank Ryan for helping make that possible for me the groom thank you for having me be a part of your wedding thank you and Melissa for being me a part of your day your friendship the both of you means a lot to me and you can hear the episode um, previous to this one, you can hear Friday's episode of Ramblin' Russ, where I give those words about how much they mean to me. You can hear that, but I just want to say the wedding itself was it was a movie. It was great seeing a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time, rekindling, picking up where we left off, making new friends out there, you know, being a groomsman looking awesome with the bridal party and then some the bridesmaids were absolutely looking lovely. The the groomsmen were killing it as per usual and it was it was a real special time. And it wasn't easy to get there, but it was worth figuring out that was one of the best weekends i've had in a very very long time and now ryan melissa are out in south carolina celebrating the honeymoon and i'm sure we'll have ryan back on the show as he is my second most frequent guest next to Renelia, who's been on the show the most i'm sure we'll check in with him in a couple of weeks and he can tell him us himself how the wedding was on his perspective 
and then some but that was a great time and i will never complain about trying to figure out how to get to a wedding even if it's stressful to to make it possible it is worth it and very special and and it truly is an honor to be there at somebody's wedding and you won't hear much complaints from me when it comes to trying to get to a wedding again I may be stressed out. I may be worrying how to figure stuff out if I'm in this position again financially and careerly trying to get to a wedding. But we pulled it off. Now that's in the past and we focus on a new chapter there. And regarding this now, we could talk about the episode ahead. William Hessert is back. Third time solo, fourth time in all. Will Hessert is about to get really controversial, maybe, depending on who you are, whether you agree or disagree with what he's about to say. He's bringing in some savagery. He's bringing in some cojones with some of the takes he is about to give us all. And him and I talk about a lot of things from the current state of online hate and dealing with haters because will is growing his own online community and he's starting to try to become an influencer as well as a ceo and running businesses but we talk about dealing with haters taking on controversial takes being inspired by haters and how and what i mean by that is those people who give you crap and those people who don't believe in you, how do you inspire yourself to overcome them regardless and not be an influence on what they say? So we'll talk about being inspired by that, Cur- the current world conflicts going on right now, World War II, um, what he's been up to in general, and then some. So Will has some strong takes in this episode that you do not want to miss. And then we talk about some comedy to light it up, of course. And then after that, I will give you some announcements regarding this show because October 2022 is going to be extremely busy, but it's going to be a lot of fun too because we have a whole amount of great content coming your way in this month of October that you do not want to miss. So stay tuned after that. And then we will continue on with this great week of shows ahead. So that's what I have to say to the greatest fans and listeners in the world. Let's take a leap of faith and hear what the great William Hesser has to say about all things crazy in this world. So let's get to it. William Hesser, it's your turn once again. Here we go. This is a very productive conversation. Oh, man, this guy's as fun as it gets when when it comes to podcasting and getting in there and creating quality content while having something to say. My next guest is a good friend of the show, rising entrepreneur, rising influencer, great family man. And um, every single time we check in every few months or so, this guy has something good up his sleeve. So once again, Will Hessert is back on the Productive Conversations podcast. William, good to see you, buddy. What's up? Good to see you, man. I wish I was less tired. I could match your energy right now. You have brought the hype, and I feel like I'm unable to match the hype. And I hope you will forgive me <laughs> for just exhaustion. Kids, oh, there's something. I could, I could imagine you have another one on the way coming too, right? Yeah, number three, due date February 16th, and finally a boy. Finally. All right. Congratulations. Well, that's incredible stuff, man. Well, I know we're going to have good Matt energy either way because you're Will Hessert. And um, where do I start with you? One of the interesting, th- let's start this with this. 
since we last talked, you were definitely part of TikTok and you were making content across platforms. And now you've really been growing a nice following with the help of someone related to me and um, all that. But Will, you've been creating some very, very informative, fun and entertaining videos from what's going on in the Internet to Elon Musk and Twitter to Andrew Tate controversy and more stuff. So I wanted to know about what you're doing in terms of content creation, what inspired you to grow it even more, and uh, where do you see this coming? Because it's really, really good stuff. Yeah, I think the underlying motivation, when you look at guys like The Rock, right? (laughs) So first off, I'd love to be that jacked, but he's pacing to make more money from his tequila brand than he is from all the movies he ever does. So he built influence and it obviously made him money he doesn't do these movies for free and he's in like seven action movies a month at this point but because he's so recognizable and such a brand he is now able to essentially be his own distribution channel for products and Mm -hmm. for services and i know i have so many things going on at any given point that owning my own distribution channel in the future would be huge because if you have this great stuff that you're making you already have a following. It's super easy to take that. And now let's bring that to the people who already know you instead of, you know, just every time you have a new idea, trying to compete with 10,000 other companies for a comparable product for limited attention on Instagram ads or Google ads or YouTube ads. And it's just, it's not ideal. And I think if you can, as long as you're not selling snake oil and you're not making bad content, I think if you intend to own a large business or multiple businesses, building a following of some type is is huge. Um, it's just not easy and takes a lot of work. And it took me a long time to kind of get into the zone of where I feel like I should be. And your brother, Brendan, did help me a lot with that because we were kind of mm-hmm. going back and forth. And I just didn't ever want to, I didn't ever want to be a second class version of some other content creator. Yeah. So the only way I could be the best at what I do is to invent it. And I had to take time to invent it, which is kind of like a half sarcastic um, edutainment on current events, especially when it has to do with finance and business. And Is that niche? Hell yeah, it is. But I'm really, really good at that niche. And there's so much I can do in that. That I think that's a good place to hang out for a couple of years. And especially owning your own content in this world and taking advantage of all the millions and millions of people online that are just looking for their niche, somebody to learn from and be entertained. And I really admire that. And as somebody who's trying to grow his own brand as well, in content creation, I, I see what you're I see what you're going for. And especially the owning your own content part of this. And we've seen plenty of people now who could still create a following regardless of the cancel culture out there, regardless of quote unquote haters. I think it's interesting to see that if you have your own audience that's truly loyal to you, you'll still succeed regardless of any more obstacles. 
except, you know, unless you get rightfully canceled for committing a crime, everything else is a fair game in uh, making in this world. I'm sure you agree. Oh, yeah. Sometimes people need to get canceled. Like Osama bin Laden got canceled. And, you know, fair was, enough. You know, uh, <laughs> some guys knocked on his door and said, hi, we're here from the government and we're here to kill you. And they did. And it was great. Yep. And like that's the kind of cancellation. But like someone we could agree hard tweeted some crap 10 years ago. Now he mm-hmm. can't host the Oscars. I'm like, well, who cares? Yeah, who cares? And I think, you know, when you talk about these mainstream award stuff, Right now, there's they're definitely admirable to get and not putting that away, but you don't necessarily need an award to recognize good work. And I've noticed that, and especially as I got older, probably when I was in high school, I thought this was the standard of success. But it really isn't. If you're if you create good stuff, a strong audience will find it. Critics will acknowledge it. And then, you know, now you have your smart in the world of content creation no matter what subject it's in. I mean, look at the difference in the critics' opinions on the two big differentials between critic opinion and public opinion, Terminal List and Chappelle's most recent comedy special. (laughs) It's like massive numbers of critics hated both and massive amounts of the audiences loved both. And it's just looking at almost like there's, it's almost like a divide in America where there's a group of people who all believe the same thing and who seem to control institutional narratives. And if you go contrary to anything that's part of the narrative, you, you apparently piss someone off, which I understand how the Chappelle special pissed off those narratives. Don't get me wrong. I was super confused how the how terminal list did. Like mm-hmm. it's just Chris Pratt being a Navy SEAL. Like, why is this controversial? Like he's just, Icing some bad dudes. This is what we all want to watch. Yeah, the Chris Pratt's in everything argument. I think they just want to see somebody else. That's my ultimate theory there. But, you know, who really cares if he's really making his strides to star in these movies and these shows and he's putting in the work? Like, that's one thing people I saw, like another example, people criticizing Kevin Hart always in too much. Like this guy's just busting his ass with his making the most of his opportunities. Why do you feel people, yeah. you know, why do you feel people push away for that or don't want to give credit to those people who put up themselves in the right positions to whether, whether they are in a position to put themselves out there and you can literally be seen all over the place, or if they're just more behind the scenes and uh, making their work that way. Why do we have so many people discrediting people who put themselves out there so much. I'll give some credit in that if someone like just doesn't like Kevin Hart or Chris Pratt as an artist, having to see an artist you don't like in every freaking thing is not ideal. But a lot of it, in my experience, there are just a lot of people who become very insecure when they see other people accomplishing a lot. Yeah. Right. And story of, it, the, of, uh, of the world. Yeah. And it, it just manifests in, in so many ways. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of our political discourse is, is very much driven by envy. A lot of, it's just fundamentally envy and envy of all the, all the sins, you know, it's arguable that envy is by far the worst. 
because yeah, there's right. no positive version of it. Because like pride would be a sin, right? But national pride that the Ukrainians are feeling, just let them take back thousands of square kilometers and saw that destroy the Russian vanguards. That that was pride that did that. That was a positive thing of people defending their country. Not letting these um, Russians take them over. They're, they're, they're in this David and Goliath story. It's a 100%. pretty interesting to see. But then like you have like lust it, it is a sin, but it's also how I keep making kids. So right? you know, there's a positive and sex sells. point of that. Sex does sell. But envy, because envy isn't jealousy. It's not like jealousy would be you have a nicer house than me. I want your house. But envy <laughs> is you have a nicer house than me. So I want to burn your house down. Mm. And you can tell what a society is captivated by based on what they're not allowed to talk about. So at the times of the greatest sexual depravity, like behind closed doors in the time when, you know, sex is a very conservative thing. This is particularly when, um, yeah, sex was actually pretty open in Europe until syphilis became a thing. And then people realized that if we don't uh, essentially create social pressures that stop people from having casual sex, uh, people are going to keep dying horrible deaths because there was no medicine for it. But that was around a time when like words like lust and sex, they stopped being spoken nearly as much. Mm. And if you look at the modern world, the word envy is almost never used anywhere which means that it's probably playing a large unseen role in a lot of the way that people are negotiating themselves. And you'll see constant conversations about, oh, this is fair, this isn't fair. And you know, there's obviously a lot of justifications behind a lot of unfairness, but a lot of this is very much driven by envy. And it's why it's such a captivating emotion. And if people don't even know that they're feeling it, super dangerous. And showing that insecurity to let that envy take you over. You know, one of the best life lessons I ever learned from my grandfather was enjoy your own company. It seems so many people don't know how to do that regardless. And I feel whether you go through so much in life where you're forced to learn about that aspect, or you just know how to wake up and smell the roses. You have to, even I, that's something I work on every single day, but enjoying life regardless of whatever situation I'm in. And it seems when people notice other people living their best life and have what they want, instead of just, I need to work hard to get my own version of that. I just want to steal it from that other person. And that's so disappointing to see. And it's going to be okay. Like, and you know, why do you care so much about the other people? One of my morbid uh, sayings goes is most of these people who you're jealous and annoyed at or have bothered you, they're not going to go to your funeral unless you're the queen of England and in that specific country. But I think people clearly let, like you said, let their envy get the most of them and they just don't know how to appreciate what they have regardless, you know? It, it is unfortunate. And like at the end of the day, if you're doing anything of value, you're going to get those people. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to talk to the people who are like that because I don't think there's anything you can really do. As I'm 
Yeah, they don't want to be saved Getting older unless they choose themselves. Oh, dude, people people almost never change unless there's some gigantic transformative thing. I just there's very little evidence that people change, and the older and the older they get, the less and less likely it becomes. So, if if you're one of those people, I just I just don't fucking care about you or your life, and it just <laughs> you just don't mean anything to me. You're annoying, but for the people who are trying to do things and are being attacked by those other people. I mean, it, you just got to get to a place where you just literally don't care. And yeah, you just have to get exposed to it. And the more and more you're exposed, it's just like lifting weights. You just get stronger and it's, you know, like there are people who couldn't, you know, squat 95 pounds and now they could put 95 pounds on their back and they can walk around for hours. It doesn't mm-hmm. even bother them because over the time they build the strength. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's, it's a hundred percent just build the muscle of not caring. Cause at the end of the yeah. day, you're going to die. These people are going to die. We're all going to die. And 10,000 years from now, none of this shit matters. So right. it's not going to matter then. It doesn't really matter now. So who cares? They're going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. It's okay. The, the score is zero in the end for us all. Take a breath. It's not that serious. If you want it to go do something, go do the thing. But just like just my take. Just like Jerry Seinfeld said, every 100 years, new people. Every 100 years, new people. Whenever Every 100 years. Yeah. Now we're in this era of the 2020s and that but yeah well i think that's probably the best lesson i've especially learned in 2022 is uh not caring because they don't care about you back so focus on yourself and um try to be the genuine the genuine one in the room and then eventually you're gonna offer the world something that they needed or they all you offer the world something that enlightens their life that's how i see this podcast i'm sure that's how you see and your businesses and influencing and create content creation, just yeah. focusing on ourselves. We're racehorses. There's a reason why racehorses have both their eyes covered, just so they can focus on uh, the track ahead. And then look at us. And then we get more of those haters. And that only shows the success, which transitions to my next point. So, Will, as you've been growing your following on TikTok and Instagram, and all the other socials, you've mentioned how not only you have been getting praise and people have appreciated the information you are offering to them, but you've also had people who've taken the time to wish horrible things on you and your family. <laughs> and, you know, we briefly talked about it before uh, we recorded, but I'd like you to expand on that. And now as I'm starting to grow this show and we're getting some more um we're getting some more listeners and viewers. I'm even starting to get a little hate on some various clips I have, but um, I'll give you my perspective on it, but I'd like to hear yours, especially tell me about those haters online. And if you either use them for fuel or you're um, part of the not caring mantra that we just discussed. Well, I use them for fuel, but not in the way you think. And I'll I'll get to that, Mm -hmm. but it's weird. So on TikTok, no matter what, there's always some 
Western based communist who's going to say some crazy <laughs> shit. You know, like we did a whole series on the economic issues plaguing China. And, you know, so many people are like, China's fine. Look at the US. I'm like, I'm looking at the data from both. And the numbers in China are obviously skewed toward making things look better than they are because we're an open and democratic system. Mm-hmm. The what the Chinese Communist Party gives us for data is what we're allowed to see. And even the data they're willing to show is horrible. And that's for a long variety of reasons. That's where the whole podcast, I made multiple videos on this and uh, I, I don't feel like getting into the, the argument, but it's interesting to see when people wish death upon you and your family and mm-hmm. your loved ones. And it's always some wannabe revolutionary who it, they'll they'll even make comments on like you know they're putting in work toward the revolution by like reading more theory or whatever it's like do you just sound like a neck beard who is in their mom's basement and you're just sitting there like rereading Marx and like at least when actual Marxists did things like if you're going to be a terrible person and you want to advance Marxism, at least be a Stalin, right? He went out there, he robbed banks to get money for the party. He put in the work. All right. You know, Ho Chi Minh, you know, fought the Japanese and then the French and then the Americans and then the Chinese, then the Cambodians, like homie put in the work. And there are just so many like fake revolutionaries who don't do shit and they just sit there and shit talk because it makes them feel big. I am going to type this message right now and make myself feel better. Your kids will die in the revolution and I'll laugh. (laughs) I mean, you know, at at that point, why are you taking the time when you like literally look at the message and it's a legitimate threat? Like, come on, whoever this person is, don't you have, don't you use that energy for something else? I mean, clearly you're using it. You're not, but you'd wish that some common sense would go through these people's brains when they take the time to literally wish death upon something like, come on, that's just so lame in all aspects. I mean, not only online, I've seen people get mad at politicians wishing death in sports, like you really think this is going to affect your life so much that a sporting outcome that you wish death upon this athlete. <sighs> I mean, it's like, homie, this is a TikTok. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Take a breath. Go outside. Touch some grass, dude. It's going to be okay. It is um, TikTok. Dude, I, it's, I mean, someone asked, like, oh, like, are you good? I'm like, I'm like, do these people bother you? And I was like, no, man, these are to me. I view them as school shooters without the balls to actually shoot up a school. Like these are the literal scum of the earth. And when, you know, 500,000 people see a video on China, you're going to get a couple thousand comments of like, this is bullshit. And then out of the couple thousand of comments, you'll get a handful of just absolutely depraved insanity because out of 500,000 people, a couple that are willing to murder your kids for a revolution or at least laugh about it. I mean, it checks out from the math, Mm. but if you, as a content creator, if you just troll trolls, 
first off, there are now more and more comments going because you're going to piss them off and they're going to keep commenting and they're going to keep coming at you, which say you're on TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, someone is like um, saying like, this is bullshit and your thing is horrible. And then you just reply with something like, well, I actually have an emotional abuse kink and this is the hottest part of my day. So please keep going. Oh my God. They're going to be like, what the fuck? And they're going to keep going, Mm -hmm. which means they're going to be more comments. The majority of your audience is watching, reading the comments, which keeps them on the video longer, bumps up the engagement longer. And they're just sitting there laughing because you're just messing with people. Um, Yeah. I mean, I take the time to reply to, at least at this point, to almost every single troll not because I feel like I need to convince someone because in the 160 characters on TikTok, I don't think I'm going to fundamentally change someone's worldview, particularly <laughs> someone who wants someone. my kids to die, but it constantly bumps up the engagement you get on the video. So I advocate for mm. fighting trolls. If you have the emotional constitution, if you don't just ignore them, even delete their comments, do whatever you have to do for your mental health. Of for course. me, I literally don't care. I will fight these people so they'll keep commenting and keep it's just you're making me money every time you fight me I it's making me money I don't care this is awesome so dude that's just my take on it so that's what I mean by I use them for fuel I literally fuel my own influence with their hate which I mean that's just kind of poetic justice especially when it was some crazy Marxist and I'm here profiting more in capitalism by them continuing to drone off. And the irony is it's just so good. It's so funny. Yeah, man, you know, I like you appreciate, I like to see, you know, how to use your energy correctly. Cause we only have so many days here and um, yeah, you, at the end of the day, these haters are only helping us more to, with our engagement. And I've noticed that with, especially when I started making more reels, thanks to Alex providing that and all the people like in this particular one with the sports and people like complaining about the Cowboys for it. that's only helping my, um, that's only open my engagement and stuff. And then we've had people complain about, um, you know, other views before on the show. Again, you're only helping me out. So to the haters, please continue it because you're only helping us and it's not bringing us down. At the end of the day, if you're really bothering me, I could just turn the computer off too and watch something. Watch something. <laughs> was that different. Kanye who said, or was it Tyler the Creator? Like, how cyberbullying a thing, bro? Just turn off the computer. Yeah, that's Tyler <laughs> the Creator, and it's still relevant to today. I mean, you literally, I just uh, turn it off, and um, yeah, it's 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 only gonna help us. And and thank you, 100%. and we'll continue to do it. And then maybe once in a while, I can for something. I get weird comments on the other side on like blue sky content. I was trying to pump it out mm-hmm. and it's not like mean people are like, this is bullshit. It's like the worst it'll get. But like, yeah. I get like the weirdest takes ever. Like climate change is a myth. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's like a common thing you'll hear is like, but oil regenerates. You're believing that's a lies. And I'm just like reading this. I'm like, fuck what? Yeah. Oil like- regenerates homie then go get some like that's you worth so much money. I, I will get quit Blue Sky right now. I will go work for your oil regen company. That sounds like a great <laughs> business model. 
yeah, we'll get gas prices under a dollar again if we could just reuse what we have. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of oil on the global market that can't get touched right now. Um, and, you know, you, you look at like the Russian oil wells, if they are unable to keep up production, uh, given where these wells are, once you stop producing, they kind of just close up mm-hmm. because it's in the permafrost. And the only people in the world who know how to reopen wells like this are Western-based engineers who obviously won't go help you because that's illegal because of sanctions. So um, there Need might be Daniel like a Plainview. huge chunk of oil. That was a great, great. That, that was... Uh, there, there Will Be Blood, blood right? Mm-hmm. That's such a good movie. Oh, my God. That's really shaping into, like, so far the best movie the the best quality film of the 21st century so far we're only 22 years in but some people really regarding that is like it's gonna look great historically so we'll pull that out there and we're still i mean daniel day lewis is the homie he's just so good dude i just don't understand how he's that good yeah well he's the ultimate method actor and only doing film while he's retired now for now at the time i think he only did films every seven years and then like really absorbed, absorbed his role. And he's the only three time Academy Award winner uh, for male actor for best actor. And, That's you know, playing Daniel Plainfield, Abraham Lincoln as an Irishman, transforming yep. there. Last of Mohegan's uh, The Crucible, My Left Foot. He just some people know how to dedicate their craft and. Some people also just act, just like just show up. It's funny how that uh, it has. Oh, yeah, I've heard someone say like, "What's method acting like?" Is that's not acting though? You're just showing up as the the person. Yeah, and it's like, aren't you supposed to pretend to be someone else? That's the whole point. But yeah. hey, whatever Daniel Day Lewis has been doing, I don't think anyone should mess with that formula. Obviously, clearly, because you know, he's just stupid good, right? At being an actor, yeah. Huge Daniel Day-Lewis fan. Um, and people who aren't as familiar with his work should go familiarize themselves because it's pretty freaking remarkable. And you know, and you actually know, is it as character-driven as it gets? You actually feel like you know the person, whoever is his role. You know, switch it to yeah. other things with other influencers, right? You have uh, been doing some Andrew Tate content, right? And uh, reflecting on his headlines, especially the past few weeks, but Andrew Tate. Now he's as controversial as it gets in terms of an influencer. People have praised him for personal fulfillment, for motivation and, um, and also just inspiring you to be a better person. But on the contrary, he's been accused of toxic masculinity, um, He's been accused of being misogynistic and other stuff like that. So clearly a polarizing figure. But even though the heat on him has died off a little bit, people still are interested in Andrew Tate content, especially I believe he after he was removed from all platforms like Facebook, Instagram, all of that meta. I believe he's on Rumble now. Is he producing content for Rumble? I mean, when you get kicked off of everything, that's where you go. Um, yeah. It's generally the refuge of the people on the far left or the far right that have been canceled by the institutions. I mean, you got a lot of like far right 
lot of communists. I mean, for Andrew Tate on there, it'll just be, um, I, I don't understand why we keep pulling down people's content. It just, mm-hmm. it's asinine to me. Um, it tends to just reinvigorate people. Um, yeah, he's, he's an interesting dude. I, and I don't feel like I know enough about him or his content. And there's just so many conflicting things. Like look at this video where he beat this girl horribly, but then like, here's a video of the girl saying like, no, we were just doing some real kinky stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he's made some, he said some things where I'm just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, it is weird. The same as women cheating, but at, at the same time though, I don't, my belief is that he has learned that controversy is what sells. Yeah, right. And he, based on my research, has been an incredibly powerful understander, that's a word, of human <laughs> psychology and has constantly used that to make large sums of money. So it seems to me that this is just the next iteration of that is to nearly like play a character because there seem to be a lot of people in his circle that have this love and loyalty of him that I don't think that he would get if he was actually like this dude who believed all of these totally insane things. Mm-hmm. I think that's just, it makes a good clip, which makes for a good affiliate link for someone to go by Hustlers University. And, and yeah, I think that was netting him like six mil a month recently, which is pretty nice. I wouldn't mind some of that. It is a fine line. Is he playing a character or is he being himself? But regardless, and do you feel he, he has been held accountable for his actions? I guess what do you mean by that? Because I don't know like what actions he's been really accused of other than words. Well, yeah, just that's exactly my point. Like, you know, saying about how like gender stereotypes should like mm. women should stay in the kitchen and stuff like that, or you know, promoting stuff like that, which does bother some people. And that isn't a good thing to say, regardless of trying to get controversy or not. But, you know, despite that, he has been removed. But do you feel that um, he's been at least been held accountable, maybe learned his lesson and try to promote content that way? Or if he's just doing all of this to test the waters without doing a crime, do you feel he has been held accountable in that sense? I mean, the dude's making six mil a month because he said a bunch of controversial stuff blew off on everything. And yeah, he got kicked off. But um, when they kicked him off of YouTube and of meta, it didn't take his 150,000 monthly subscribers. Yeah. And they all went to Rumble. That's, that's something to, that's something to uh, at least explore and research. Yeah. And cause like it's, it's his own course, you know, he, he built that. That's a recurring source of revenue. Mm-hmm. I think he accomplished exactly what he, intended to accomplish so i don't and it, it there's 
the notoriety of Andrew Tate certainly hasn't gone away. And 30 years from now, even if I never hear anything about Andrew Tate again, if someone brings him up, I'm going to fully remember who Andrew Tate is. He's incredibly memorable. Yeah, so I think sure. if like the goal, if, if you're of the, the worldview of like, this man needs to be punished because he said these things, obviously no. Um, but at the same time, I don't really, I'm just not on the train of punishing people for the things that they've said mm-hmm. because people have been punished for saying things way more tame than things like Andrew Tate said, you know, like people have been canceled for pointing out that like, no, women don't actually make like 70 cents on the dollar to what men make. Like it's such an oversimplification of a fairly complex issue. Um, But, you know, just saying that, um, you know, or, You'll you'll take someone it, watching, uh, like someone like Jordan Peterson's mental health deteriorate over years of just all the flack thrown at him of a man whose fundamental initial belief that made everyone hate him is if I have a trans student in my classroom who has preferred pronouns, I will use those pronouns. But if the Canadian government makes that legally mandated. I think that's a slippery slope into the government dictating what speech is allowed and what speech isn't. And that to me is an incredibly sensible position. But somehow it just means that he hates trans people and he wants them to die. And what drives me, and here's a, a take that'll, I'm sure, get me canceled, but I just don't give a shit because I don't think anyone can cancel you without your permission if you never apologize and just tell people to fuck off. Um, it's worked great for Bill Burr so far. It's worked great for Chappelle. <laughs> but it's worked so well for Elon. Um, but there have there are so many serious issues on the planet. And... I'm not sure if it's because of the internet or I'm not sure if it's just, I'm not sure what the reason is, but activism seems to look for low hanging fruit that doesn't even exist of like, if we just get Andrew Tate kicked off of this platform, then we've solved that problem. Uh, And, you know, this is a win against misogyny, but To me, if you want to help X community, right? Like look at the suicide rate in the trans community. It's horrifying. I believe it exceeds the suicide rate of Jews uh, under Nazi Germany. So there's a huge mental health crisis, obviously, in the trans community. But I'm fully unconvinced that just trying to like do things like keep Dave Chappelle's special off of Netflix yeah. is actually an effective strategy because, you know, keeping thousands of people from killing themselves every year is actually like a really difficult and complex problem to solve. But because it's difficult and complex and because the average activist is lazy, they just make up these lies in their head that the problem is actually simple. And if you're looking at, any kind of complex situation in the immeasurably complex world. And and you think 
oh, I just have to do X or Y or Z to solve it, you're wrong. Uh, you see the same thing in climate change, like we just have to stop using fossil fuels. It's like, great, but how? Because it's just not that simple. The solar doesn't work at night. We yeah. don't have the battery storage capacity to allow that. To, we don't even have the, I mean, we don't have the solar panels to power 100% of the grid. You know, people are anti-nuclear everywhere, which actually is like, it's literally you have these glowing rocks that produce unlimited energy. It's, but we won't use the glowing rocks because glowing rocks scare people. And <laughs> hydroelectric dams are, you know, we there are no new places to build new dams. And these increasing droughts are dropping the, issue of climate change is incredibly complex. The issue of the disparities in wealth between white families and black families is hugely complex. And it's all these people who are just trying to simplify things. And it's either someone who just is getting to a place of mental laziness, probably from even a place of good intention. Like if I can just help do this, we can help these people. But behind it are a series of academics and a series of journalists and a series of a bunch of other people that are essentially just these grifting pieces of shit that have a product to sell, like buy my book, White Fragility, which is really just like one of the most dog shit, pseudoscientific garbage books ever produced. Um, like the concept of like, it's not enough to be not a racist. You have to be an anti-racist and, uh, racism is can't exist unless there's a power discrepancy. There's always just this constant redefining of language and moving of goalposts, and it's just unhelpful. Nobody, and I don't think the goal is to help. Instead of just blaming each other, nobody's taking the time to put the research into actual research and the money. I mean, we there's so much wealth out there to actually solve these major issues once and for all having the politicians actually solve the problems we voted them in for no we're just trying to push people away for people who are acknowledging these issues in their way whether it's the right way to acknowledge it or wrong using the right language and vocabulary or the wrong one we're just pushing people away instead of you know funding for you know funding for communities for unhealthy unhealthy for unwealthy communities and putting programs in to help them prosper and get better jobs. We're not putting money in to do proper research to show and prove that these other ways of getting energy are actually useful. We're not making, yeah. we're not funding, you know, just a simple infographs uh, video to help us solve these issues or show that it's okay. No, we're just, pointing out people who should stay away and should never be heard of again. And we're sharing infographics on our Instagram stories. Oh, that that's and really effective. That's a really effective it, tool. Calling it a, a, a win for society. And the underlying premise of these things is, is wild. Well, here's a controversial take just to get you more views and more angry comments on your reels. <laughs> so it feels like when People look at like the disparities in wealth amongst races. There's obviously a long history of reasons. And to say just like, because slavery is dumb. Like look at 
um, black families and white families and, and their relative wealth to how close they were together in the 1920s. But then you introduce things like redlining, um, which and the legacies of, of redlining that allow like the people who are like, don't build anything in my backyard, AKA NIMBYs, like that whole movement is, is still very much around. I live in Essex. I see them all the time. <laughs> it's, it's like the simple solutions are always, okay, well, like we should give reparations. And there's that question of like, okay, but who pays them and to whom, you know? Because my family didn't even get here until the 1890s. Mm-hmm. We had nothing to do with slavery, uh, genetically. But also at the same time, if someone's family did horrible things, unless you can prove that like some measure of their current wealth was derived from that slavery, it, but there are, are more difficult but better ways to close those kinds of disparities. For instance... Um, I mean, personally, I think because people keep going to jail, uh, in, in the black community for stupid things is hugely affecting. So like the decriminalization of marijuana would be a huge, um, a benefit and just kind of just, if we all just accepted that onion article of congratulations to drugs for winning the war on drugs, we'd probably have a better (laughs) society. Uh, it didn't work when we tried prohibition. It's not working now. At the same time, though, if you, you know, crime makes it very hard to do business, and a lack of business means that there are less and less job opportunities. And you can trace crime to things like the fatherlessness rate. Uh, is, fatherlessness is actually the number one predictor of crime. And there are incentives built into the welfare program to have fathers not stay rather than building those incentives the other way around. So if you corrected things like that, you would probably see an immediate drop in fatherlessness, which would immediately decrease mental health problems, decrease crime, increase education, and increase wealth in the kids that are raised in that family because two-family households objectively, even if the parents are separated and they don't even live together, having two parents in a child's life objectively improves life. At the same time, increased policing provably decreases crime and improves the economic prosperity of the people that are there. And provably, better police training allows for less interactions like a Derek Chauvin uh, and George Floyd. Right. Because, and there are things to work out with that because if training very often, it gives people skills to deal with situations, but it also reveals the people who are just constitutionally unequipped to deal with things. And so now there's a a complex question there. I'm like, well, how do you get rid of cops that obviously can't handle stress properly? You know, I've seen body cam footages of just like watching a cop. I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing right now? (laughs) You are so bad in stressful environments. I'm like, I get it. It's a hard job, but like that is the job. So, right. Um, but you can't discuss these things in this way without immediately getting from one side, like, oh, like suggesting that like there are less fathers in the black community is racist and it's like oh, just data. And then on the other side, mm-hmm. like suggesting that police are bad at getting rid of 
bad cops. It's like, oh, you don't stand with law enforcement because just everyone is so partisan. And yeah. look, at the end of the day, if that's your worldview, is you're just instantly angry at anything I just said. You're, you're an ideologue. Time. You're an ideologue. You're unhelpful to any actual progress. And the entire world political system would be better if you just shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. You have nothing to contribute that isn't a snippet from Fox News or MSNBC. Stop talking. Just stop. Go read something. Go learn things. I'm like, yeah, you do have the right to speak. Yeah, you do have the right to vote. But you're hurting us. You're hurting the world. You're hurting the people that you're pretending to care about. Bad cops hurt law enforcement because allowing bad cops to persist is why you have massive movements of all cops are bad, defund the police. Allowing there to be crime in the black community. As it turns out, if there are people doing crime in the black community, weird, they commit crime against other black people, which I don't know if you knew this, but crime can hurt you. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's people who are who just seem unwilling to actually do things that help the people that they pretend to care about. And it's all this faux activism and people on the right, I'm talking about you too, don't think you're off the hook. <laughs> I just frustrating. It's just a lot of bullshit, man. I'm sick of people's bullshit. And I'm just gonna call them all on it until you know, a commie actually does come to my house, but I'm pretty well armed actually. So I don't think <laughs> you're ready in all, in all, in all aspects, but you know what? At the end of the day, well, you can't, you can't really learn anything without listening and put those actions in that sense. And we'll all go a far long way. And there's a lot to learn instead of just yelling on Twitter and, uh, or yelling at any medium whatsoever. You just oh yeah, log off of Twitter too. That's helpful for political discourse. Mm-hmm. Just stop tweeting. It's not good for anyone. And get yourself educated. Watch <laughs> a Ken Burns documentary. Um, like you said, um, there's yeah, so much more opposing to sides and read both of them. Oh know? yeah, one thing I pride myself in. I like to hear people on both sides of the spectrum, no matter the subject, because I can't. If I always listen and talk to people who agreed with me, I'm not prospering. And that's pretty boring. You need to have that kind of discourse and a healthy one. And like one of my favorite influence, more media personality. I really like Bill Maher a lot. I like him a lot. I think he's very on the nose, not afraid to say, you know, he's, he's definitely more of a liberal view on things. But he's somebody who gets all aspects of life together and then, hey, have a healthy common sense conversation. And that's something I've said a lot on this show, a lot in this particular episode. He really promotes that common sense. And if I'm really going to let the political world dictate how I live my life, then what is the damn point? There's so much more to this world than politics. And so many people really believe that politics is the only thing that matters. And it clearly doesn't. Especially if you're not doing anything to help anyone. Like you're essentially just having a religious argument at that point. Which at the end of the day, why? Like if someone's a Muslim and you're a Christian and you're just yelling at each other, like what the fuck are any of you accomplishing? Like nobody gets a trophy at the end of it. 
we all die and then none of it matters. So if we're going to be here and we want to do good things, let's actually do good things. And like fighting that person on Twitter isn't actually, we can be fun sometimes, especially if you drink a little bourbon. But mm. outside of that, you know, it's not, you're not actually doing anything to help the world. And I, it's really dangerous that we have so many ways to feel like we're helping that aren't helpful because it's addicting and it's, it's literally what porn is to sex. You know, Ooh. it, it feels good and it, it's addicting, but it's fake and it's hurting you and it's hurting your ability to ever do anything in the real world. It's that, but with actual connection, I want to say activism because there's so much of activism isn't that it has like activism works super well when it's well thought out and you're advocating for specific things that will have a provably positive impact. But if it's just mob outrage feels good. So does porn. Both are very bad for you. Yeah, but, now that is that that is uh definitely that is definitely something to absorb right there. I appreciate it, Will. So I was just wondering too, who are some of your other influencers or broadcasters that you have liked past and present? Hmm. That's a good question. I uh there's a YouTuber Jake Tran whose content is it's it's more a little bit decrease in quality, but he's still probably one of the best people on just like making videos on crazy shit I never knew about. Um, he's really good. I'm trying to think. I love Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sagar is um, on the right, Crystal's on the left, uh, and they, they formed an uh, independent news show together, almost a million subscribers on YouTube. Really? I have, um, I've after- never heard about these two. They're so good. Like they just they you get say their names one more time? pretty right on the nose. Uh, breaking points with Crystal and Sagar. Okay. Um, and what I really like about them as well is sometimes they'll say something and it turns out to be super wrong. And they're like, my bad. And they'll like get on the air. It's not like CNN who's like, I got to spend the next two years convincing you that Russia sold the 2016 election. Cause we said that in 2016 and now we have to cover for our asses. Um, they're like, oh, mm. nope, turned out that was wrong. My bad. Um, and it's one of the reasons why people don't watch CNN. I mean, CNN gets like 150,000 viewers on a good day. Mm. You know, that's, that's not a profitable YouTube channel. <laughs> like, it's not, they're falling apart. Um, yeah, it's, it's better sort, you know, I'll, I'll always have love for CNN because I did intern there and they learned a lot personally, professionally. So I'll always have that appreciation, but at the same time, now that's pushing six, seven years ago and the world has changed. The media landscape has changed and CNN seems to be, it's most effective for the older demographic to watch on a weeknight between eight to 10 or whatever major news story. And you know, when you do, when you do see something huge, I think most people We'll like to turn on CNN what they have with that headline ticker, but I do agree that just their way of presenting information is a bit outdated. 
and their customer base is literally dying yeah, but, every day. So, but it's not. I will a say, good I love model. their documentaries, though. I love their original content documentaries, like the Decade series, which is awesome. The yeah, when movies, they do stuff like that, like, that's good, great. You know, yeah. I don't know why you feel the need to cram twenty four hours worth of news because I forget who said it, but there are. Some I mean, Camille Bell's great. This might be a Lennon quote, actually, but um, you know, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. Um, really? Now that no, I'm like I, that's pretty profound. I actually like that. I mean, look at the last couple of years. I mean, a massive <laughs> pandemic shut down the world. Um, you know, a nuclear power did a full scale invasion of a small neighbor. And in 2022, China is probably going to invade Taiwan. Um, I saw in that a minute right now, I which will mean that. an open conflict between the U.S., their allies, and China. Um, yeah, so Taiwan is asking for support from the UN on that. I mean, TSMC, their semiconductor company, produces most of the world's high-end semiconductors. Whoever controls Taiwan controls the future. But at the end of the day, it's semiconductor manufacturing is incredibly complex, takes a lot of sensitive technology. If the island that you're making them on is being bombed into nothing, semiconductor production might be affected a little bit by that, uh, which means that means no iPhones, no computers, no cars, no, like literally fucking nothing can get made without semiconductors. Yeah. So have you seen The Departed by any chance? And still have not seen The Departed, which will offend every one of my friends in Boston. I'm sorry. It's actually my favorite movie ever, but I just always know what a semiconductor is because they were doing a drop-off. That's how I always recognize those little chips there. And we don't want to Little chips, man. They're everything. Oh, dude, headphones. It's And so huge credit that the U.S. government as realizes is a strategic threat. The CHIPS Act passed. I think it's one of the best things. It's probably going to be one of the shining jewels of the Biden administration is helping to get better semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. I mean, Samsung is opening up that big plant in Texas. But at the end of the day, China attempts to actually invade Taiwan. The United States is going to war with China. Um, I just don't see... How you could, it's almost as if, like, in the middle of the Cold War, if the Soviet Union did a full scale invasion of the Middle East to control the oil. Like, it's that level of, and there's no way that we would let that. And I mean, nor should we. I'm not like a war hawk, but by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't imagine how we would let a country that literally commits genocide have complete control over the world in the 21st century. Um, yeah, emphasize in the 21st win. century. Yeah, I mean, yeah, committing genocide, but in the 21st century. Those two things don't, shouldn't go well together. But Whatever happened you know, to when they said those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it? <laughs> well, I don't think that's even true. Really? Because we know history. Uh, yeah, we're and we still know doing it. what happens when Jews go on train cars to be sent away to camps. But when Uyghurs do it, 
when we it's not Uyghurs putting people on train cars, Uyghurs are the people we put on the train cars, and they're being sent away. And now China is collecting DNA on millions of Tibetans uh, for biometric monitoring, so they could commit genocide in Tibet um, overnight if they wanted to. I mean, there are people who work for the Chinese government who will sit in a Uyghur's house and make sure that a husband and wife don't have sex to prevent procreation. It's ethnic genocide of an entire people. And the people who were all watching this happen, because there's that question of like, all right, that's horrible. Are you willing to go to war for that? And the answer has been a resounding no. Another reason why the UN is an utterly useless entity. That's a fucking joke. And I will constantly laugh at them for being so unaffected. My favorite UN picture <laughs> is there's a, a picture, a UN logo, like involved in peace. And there's a UN peacekeeper standing right there with the blue beret. But so it's uninvolved in peace. Um, <laughs> because at the end That's of funny. the day, nobody actually wants to send people to die. And at the same time, sending people to die is often the only way to actually change the outcome. Yeah. And that and that's a big thing we've seen throughout history since the dawn of man or the dawn of people and stuff. Yeah. War determines mostly everything. And it's because we live in this weird place where we feel like big wars don't happen anymore. And like, no. I mean, how do we solve terrorism? We have a running list of people who we need to put in the ground and we kill them and we kill their friends and we eliminate those threats. And it's the only way that terrorism has ever really stopped. There was no like outreach program of like, are you an Al Qaeda? Have you tried? Maybe not. Like, no, just killing them is all that worked. We didn't, you know, petition the Nazis. We didn't, we killed the Nazis. That is what ended that war. Um, there's going to, you know, we were talking about Ken Burns. There's going to be a Ken Burns docs on the, on the United States and the Holocaust. I think debuts next week. Oh, like the U S and the Hulk, like, like how we kind of knew what was going on. Exactly. That that's wouldn't the let gist. Jewish people come to the U S yeah. So three parters. You know, the debate, did we ignore it? How does this, how does this, how did this um, expand throughout our history? Stuff like that. And I like It's Ken all Bird forgiven. Stuff. We made a nice museum. It doesn't matter what we did. It's okay. <laughs> we made a good, nice museum. Who cares if we ignored it? I, I will say, though, that there seems to be some, like, revisionist history on that, in my view, of, like, like, oh, FDR knew about the Holocaust in, like, 1942. I'm like, okay, but, like, what? We had just landed in North Africa. What were we going to do? How were we going to get to Germany and Poland? How do you get to Auschwitz? Is your took a couple 1942 of years United States, you know? Like you, the only way to actually stop the Holocaust is to defeat the Nazis. Like they were doing this in their own backyard. So you have to, and the more areas you liberate, the less people that they'll have the ability to take the, minorities that they hate and, and purge so just win the war faster and i think we did a pretty remarkable job um in fighting the second world war i mean it was kind of just and you had a market guard on the theaters. side victory after victory yeah and 
I mean, obviously massive contributions from the Russians. I think the Russians would have won it without the, the British and the Americans. Yeah, a lot of people forget away. they were part of the Allies, the Soviet Union at the time. That seven out of 11 Germans that died in World War II were killed by Soviets. Mm. But I think they lost something like, it was like a huge percentage of the population. I, it was weird. I saw a uh, TV schedule in Russia from like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It was like Shrek 1, Shrek 2. And then like Shrek 2 was interrupted. And there was like a 15 minute, or sorry, it was like a five minute memorial where it's like, oh, uh, five minute uh, remembrance of all those who gave their lives in the great patriotic war, defeating fascism. Shrek two continued. Shrek three, and it's like, <laughs> what is happening? Well, that is that. That's right, quite the transition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, you know, it, I don't know if this is still a thing in Russia, but at least in the Soviet Union, uh, when people would get married, they would go to a military graveyard between the wedding and the honeymoon of just like a hey. We would not be here if not for these people, um, wow. which I think is an incredible uh, cultural thing. And so that, that's true in the United States too. But Greatest the United generation. States has never sacrificed on the level that that generation of Soviets did. It's it's literally an incomprehensible level of human suffering to lose like one out of five people that live in your country. That's, that's a scary fact. I you can't even imagine that. Like, look around your neighborhood. Imagine like one fifth of all of them are dead. You know. So World War II was wild, but yeah. And then they were. Not only did they beat the Germans, but they were very ready for another fight right after them. Yeah, the Pacific and fighting the Japanese. Oh, they rolled over two million Japanese in like three weeks. They're like they just got nuked twice. Like, all right, maybe we can hold out. <laughs> Still got that two million man army in Manchuria. What do you mean they're gone? Okay, maybe we should surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Have you like, seen? That's when you give up. You ever see Band of Brothers in the Pacific? That I prefer to watch Band of Brothers over the Pacific solely because Pacific was so horrifying. Mm-hmm. Like I watching you know, like Japanese troops charge, but like using women and babies as a shield and just things like that are so frustrating. The, the Japanese keep getting forgotten as the, the baddies that they were in World War II because the Holocaust and the Nazis, but you know, we didn't prosecute a lot of the Japanese war criminals. And so because there wasn't a Japanese equivalent of the Nuremberg trials, I think we just try to forget the things that went on there. But it's important to remember that the Nazis had SS soldiers in Nanking when the Japanese attacked it. And like they, they were just observers and like these SS soldiers who would go on to checking my notes, do the Holocaust. These are not good people. No, they were so horrified by what they saw that you'll see pictures of Chinese troops in the Sino-Japanese war, like fighting with like German MP forties, like wearing German uniforms. Um, You know, like competitions of like 
who can bayonet the most babies the quickest we're going like things that are so utterly horrifying and disgusting and evil that the human brain can't even fully comprehend anyone who hasn't seen dan carlin's hardcore history or listened to it rather dan carlin supernova in the east gives a complete account of imperial japan from its beginning to its collapse and it you literally couldn't make movies about it because people would call it unrealistic really you know i mean in the 30s the uh a group of naval officers killed the prime minister of japan because he wasn't militant enough and then 300,000 japanese citizens signed a petition for their release but they signed it in their own blood talk about dark and now like it's such a, a calm nation I, I heard one japanese man explain it of like we had the most brutal right-wing government ever to exist in the 30s and 40s and in the 60s we had radical left-wingers commit all kinds of acts of terror so now if you're politically radical either left or right like it's such a social taboo there because wow Imagine that happened in America. I mean, Japan might actually have been the most horrifying ultra right wing government ever to exist in human history. Like they might actually beat the Nazis on that list, which is hard because remember, they're the literal Nazis. Like they were so like the Holocaust. But the things the Japanese did like trying to recreate bubonic plague to release it in the U.S., the constant genocides everywhere they went. And the saddest part is so many parts of Asia, as Japan was rolling through and like, we're going to beat the French, beat the British, we're going to take their empire, so I'm going to try the Japanese empire. And all these poor people in Asia who had been oppressed by these European empires, like they've almost viewed the Japanese as liberators a lot of the time, because here are people who, while they don't look exactly like us, the gap between someone who looks Japanese and Vietnamese is very different than someone who looks French and Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. But then the Japanese committed such horrifying things that it's like these liberators are actually some of the worst oppressors we've ever had. It's really one of the most tragic moments in, in human history is that, um, dream of like a pan-Asian society that uh, was being built by probably at the time the most evil Asian (laughs) country. Mm -hmm. So it did not work out. Yeah. Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, Supernova in the East. If anyone just wants their mind to be utterly freaking blown, it's tough to listen to. And like, it's important to remember because like I give like... um, because uh, obviously I get like commies telling me that they want my kids to die. I don't get people um, on the far right doing that. But it's also just important to remember that you can't, it's not just crazy lefties, like crazy righties are pretty fucking crazy um, and have done a lot of horrible things in human history. Like, remember, there was a Great Leap Forward and there was a Holocaust. There was the Sino-Japanese War and the cultural revolution like both of these things can be bad things and it just feels like there's this constant dichotomy argument of communism's bad no fascism's bad i'm like well 
What if you're both bad? Yeah. What if you're both bad? Third, and you know, there's actually going to be a third series, companion series. You have the Band of Brothers uh, Pacific, boy. and now Apple Plus in 2023 is going to release something called Masters of the Air, a miniseries based on the actions Ooh. of the 8th Air Force in the United States Army Air Force in uh, in the in World War II, being produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks again. And Let's go. That will be on Apple TV. Oh, sorry. That'll be on yep, Apple TV Plus. That should be released next year. And I believe filming is complete. Um, I don't That's know too much job. of job. That's a horror. Like, like you look at those guys in bombers. I think like the, the like the death rate of guys in bombers, one of the highest death rates yeah. in the whole we're, war. We're getting a whole series on that starring Austin Butler, oh. who just played Elvis. He's That's the lead in it. They never take like really well-known actors and then they always do an incredible job, at least with the, the previous two series. Yeah. And this one, you know, obviously also Bull is pretty big, but everyone else seems to be, you know, an up-and-comer character actor. And I think that actually helps. You don't want to be, not that any, like Tom Hanks was so starstruck in, in Saving Private Ryan, but, you know, to help to tell the story on a historical level, you have to have more, contemporary everyday people i think 100 percent. i think matt damon was specifically picked because he wasn't that well known at the yeah time that the movie exactly at the time and then you know he's matt damon now also is pretty cool. I'm, exci- I'm excited to see what he does there you know rami malik was in the pacific before he was freddie Mercury. yeah that's right and so was uh john berntal yeah before he became yeah. the pro- the Punisher and Walking Dead. So there you go. A good start. Yeah. Tom Hardy's like- in the Band of Brothers and Michael Fassbender and Damien Chazelle. Tom Hardy's in Band of Brothers? Yeah, briefly in a scene. He was in that scene when he was caught sleeping with one of the girls, if you remember. Some girl in it. I think it was like the Holland scene or something. Yeah. I guess I did too. for Tom Holland. <laughs> or uh, for Tom Hardy. Tom oh, did, I say, did I say Tom, Tom Holland? Holland? Did I say Tom Holland? No, I, no, you Tom said Hardy. Hardy. I said Holland. But that would have been really funny. He would have been like three. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a great series. And uh, Netflix is remaking All's Quiet on the Western Front. Ooh, and the trailer really? looks... I didn't see the, the trailer. The trailer looks... World War One. It looks... Which more need, attention needs to be paid to that because that was just one of the most horrifying conflicts. And yeah. A conflict where there really was no good guy or bad guy. It was just empires clashing and the amount of human misery that resulted from it. But it it seems like it's going to be one of those movies like Dunkirk. Like I haven't rewatched Dunkirk, and I I thought it was an incredible movie, and I just don't feel the need to rewatch it because it was so stressful and horrifying. Isn't that funny? That's the most non... I mean, you could see it's a Christopher Nolan movie, but he... That was a very interesting choice of him to make that type of war film. And he... I thought he did an incredible job. I I feel the same way about Apocalypse Now. I I saw it once and I have not rewatched it because it's so... It just does something to your soul. It really is. It it is intense in every aspect. It's It's like like cinematic cocaine or something. I mean, and it, yeah, it ter- the, the one scene I can't get out of my head from that movie. And it's, it's not like one of the famous scenes. It's 
when they, they end up at like that encampment um, along the river and it's U.S. camp, they're taking fire and then, you know, goes up to a guy on a machine gun and like shakes him like, hey, like who's in charge here? And the guy just starts laughing maniacally and then just gets yeah, back on I the machine gun. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And then by the end of the movie, and I mean, obviously like it's a long um, analogy of, of hard darkness, but yeah, right. It really that... encapsulates the energy of that book better than Colonel Kirk. You made a movie about, like, you actually try to make a movie about hard darkness. Like, I don't think there's a better setting for that than Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, I, and, you know, people that I know who fought there, um, you know, their, their experience with Vietnam is pretty comparable to that. Uh, it's just like a fever dream of horror. But happy that that is not a war for our generation. Yeah, as it's as senseless as it can be. You know, you know who always made me laugh. The it's not a random character because it was a good composite character in there. But Dennis Hopper is the American photographer, right before, um, right before you know uh, Martin Sheen uh, approaches Colonel Kurtz. That dark scene, you just have the it was one of the best uses of comic relief was just this high um, photographer in there who just somehow got in there. And allegedly, Dennis Hopper was actually high filming that. And like, I'm sure you've heard about the it was a very dark, um, you know, shooting of that film took three years to complete. They um, it was shot in the Philippines they had to use actual Philippine Air Force, um, you know, they had to use those, their choppers and stuff. And Martin Sheen had a heart attack on set. Marlon Brando yeah. didn't know his line shows up overweight. It's a if you want to see something, I think it's actually called Heart of Darkness, the documentary about the shooting of that. So like that's meta, dude. <laughs> they make a movie, they make a movie about a movie, yeah. and the movie about the movie is named after what the book it's based. Anyway, <laughs> it is as meta, dude. Mar, I I heard some of the Marlon Brando stories about that movie, and it's like Jesus Christ, bro. Like, do you want to be in this movie? I don't know. Yeah, and that's why it's especially he's only in what three seeds, and they had a you know shoot it in such a specific way like he's specifically the dark so you can't see that he's severely overweight giving him the most simple eyes that are both still terrifying so shouts to the screenwriter for making that possible film when done right is as spectacular as it gets I mean him being in the dark actually I think aided those scenes I know like if I guess the goal was to keep him from being overweight but it's yeah he was the heart of darkness of the jungle at that point. So oh, yeah. to be in a well-lit room would be weird. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And one of the best, <coughs> you actually see Marnishin kill Colonel Kurtz and they just have that quick jump cut of the ritual killing the bull. I just love that, that, that editing right there. Cause like, Oh my God, he's about to dehead him. And then they just literally kill a, uh, bull in that that was real you know rest in peace peter um i guess peter wasn't around then to protest but you know now they're just annoying (laughs) peter has 
I think like a 97% kill rate at their shelters. I don't give a fuck what PETA says. Oh, wow. Yeah, they haven't really seen kills relevant. so many animals. And then, yeah, PETA, PETA and Greenpeace are two organizations that seem to always do something that makes things worse. Mm-hmm. But what can you do? Yeah, it's, you know, do you want to actually help problems? I think a big part of it is it, you know, complex problems require complex thought. And a lot of people just have a lot of feelings. So we're just going to just go act on the feelings. <laughs> and it feels good to act on our feelings. So I want to keep acting on them. Like, all right. I mean, that's your boats, right? One last question, Will. I want to okay. know about some of the great comedies you've liked throughout your life, or the comedy film, comedy TV mm. series. What truly makes you laugh? whether when you need it or you just want to feel good. And like for me, Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm is as peak as it gets when it comes to pure comedy. That guy, he knows he's grandfathered in so he could be as offensive as he wants to be when he does legitimate, uh, the best, one of the best taglines I've ever seen on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's just doing what you're thinking. And that's 100% true throughout the 11th season. That's and now a great way to explain him. That's literally the whole show. Is he just says the shit that we all think, but you're not allowed to say. Yep. And he just gets in so much trouble. I love oh, it, man. I love it. That's a great show. Um, best comedies. Uh, the ones that will always make me laugh. I mean, we have our classics that I love. Like, I love Blazing Saddles. I oh, love yes. Airplane. Um, love Monty Python oh my gosh like I could just crush Monty Python Um, you know like watching people try to execute someone by a firing line and then they missed all the shots and then the commander takes the guy back into a back room and is like I'm so sorry about this they're normally much better like we'll try to get (laughs) and it's like a customer service it's Monty Python is endlessly funny to me. Um, One of the hardest questions is uh, Life of Brian or Holy Grail. Um, I go for Life of Brian personally, but, you know, it's after. Those those can get offensive real quick. When he's like, you are on the broad side of life. Oh, one of the best endings of film ever. And (laughs) when he's like, what was it? It's been a while since I saw it, but he's getting, you are Jesus, you are Jesus, guys. No, fuck off or whatever. I'm completely blanking, but you know what? See, I'm talking about. He's like, you are the chosen oh, like, one. You're the Messiah. Like, I'm not the Messiah. Well, yeah. only the Messiah would reject divinity. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'm the Messiah. He's the Messiah. <laughs> uh, fun fact: Pink Floyd uh, and a couple of other famous musicians at the time. I forget who else funded Holy Grail. Really? Not because they believed in the project, but because they expected it to utterly fail, and it was a tax write-off. Well, jokes on them. <laughs> uh, I mean, modern movies. I mean, there are not really that many new comedies coming out. Yeah, it's kind like, of in a down period of like the pure, non-franchised yeah. comedy film. But like Tropic Thunder, like they're not mm-hmm. gonna make that the Hangover. Again. If the Hangover just was its own and didn't make yes. a sequel or trilogy, it'd be one of the greatest legacies for any comedic work ever. I'm so happy they didn't try to make like uh, like a Tropic Thunder two, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think from a show perspective, the two shows that'll always make me laugh are probably Archer mm-hmm. and Arrested Development. But those two shows, 
are very much my humor. The downside is very much not my wife's humor. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, Arrested Development shows that the rich will always be rich no matter what. You can rob them of their wealth, but they'll still have their mentality. Uh, and it's just the the writing and the the quips and it it's just so brilliant. And then Archer is just that's one thing I have to. I've never seen an episode of Archer yet, but I will yeah, get on it very Archer. soon. I, I like H. John Benjamin. If uh, he's so good, if and Aisha Tyler's so good at everything mm. she does, I she's just one of my favorite people and i wish he was better known um but it's what i imagine i would have grown up to be (laughs) like if i didn't have better guidance in like 18 19 of just a guy who's out there doing badass things that that uh but is actually this giant insecure man baby uh, (laughs) who's utterly incompetent at life like that is probably where my life would be right now with a couple of things changed. Um, so I'm like, I just watch it. And it's, so it's extra funny for me. Cause I'm like, Jesus Christ, like that's what I would do. Um, but my wife and I, I've, I've never really seen big bang theory. We've been going through big bang theory and what do you I'm getting annoyed that I think not it, only I th- do I look like Sheldon, but I have <laughs> a lot of, I was like, all right, I get the similarity, but I have a lot of the same quirks as him, which that's is a really show, starting what, to drive seasons? me crazy. Yeah, we're on like seven, and it's taken a while to get there. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Good. I think it's, you have a whole other half of shows to go. <laughs> I think it's wholesome family fun. Um, I think I am, in terms of a comedy that I would mark as my favorite, it probably wouldn't be on that list because I just need something that's either dumber, like airplane is just like dumb humor the whole time yeah. or you call me just, shirley or you say, roger twisted. what <laughs> <laughs> uh to me you ever been in a turkish bathhouse back, back <laughs> but um <laughs> it's i need something dumber or i need something just more messed up uh and that's very much and I, I just have a really sick sense of humor. Like the nope. shit that I find funny is just, I have, like, I know what jokes I can say with certain friends who we all had that same really fucked up humor, but they're like jokes that even though I'm like, I don't care about cancel culture. No, I still like won't say the kind of shit that I'm thinking all the time. Cause it's like, <laughs> no, like it's just better for humanity. If I never vocalize the shit that I just found funny. You know, well, um, if you were a comedian, you'd be you'd be like a George Carlin, I think. I that is one of the greatest compliments anyone <laughs> has ever given me. Carlin Seriously, was the OG dude. He was so good because he just pointed out everyone's bullshit, and we just he called us out on our own bullshit, and we loved him for it It, like he told us that our whole lives are is a meaningless ploy to work a job to make money to buy more shit that we don't need and then we keep buying bigger houses to fit more of our shit Mm -hmm. like he's just roasting the entire underlying premise of our lives 
And we're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I wish we had him in Twitter. I think he passed away yeah. in 2008. That yep. would have been perfect. And, um, oh, he would go crazy. Like him and Bill Hicks. Oh, another one gone too soon. With the modern landscape of the world. Because these were like liberal, liberally minded people, but who were also staunchly against and political correctness and what evolved into yeah, the establishments. I guess it like you used to call it PC and then you called it woke and they called themselves woke and now woke. They're like, how dare you insult us with that word? I'm like, this is your <laughs> word for years ago. Now it's social justice. I don't know. We all know what it is. The annoying people on Twitter who just won't stop. Just stop it. Get just stop help. it. Hey, man, if you have just it. Stop. Get help. <laughs> Get help. If you have HBO, there is a two-part documentary on Carlin on his whole life. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. Very rewarding to watch. My mom watched it and has been bugging me because we're both huge Carlin fans. And mm. she's like, how have you not watched this? I'm like, look, I have company and I have to go take care of kids. And then <laughs> when I sit down to watch TV, it's with my wife. And I, if you want to be married watch what your wife wants to watch <laughs> and that's just how you live you know it's like anyone who's like the man is the leader of the house like doesn't matter bro i'll bet money that andrew tate's girlfriend still controls the remote i will bet you money because <laughs> you just doesn't matter what the dynamic is the woman determines what you watch so i have <laughs> seen every netflix rom-com Every single one. Which Every one Netflix Christmas movie. Um, what was the one with the guy that looked like Chris Hemsworth and had Emma Roberts? That one was really funny. You know what was a good one? Um, Always Be My Maybe. Actually, was I thought it was both socially conscious and also added a twist I to the rom I saw moments of that, and mm-hmm. that was wicked funny. I don't know if crazy... Rich Asians qualifies on that list, but that was yeah, a that was a studio movie. movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Was, you know, it was a terrible movie. Um, the Kissing Booth. That was as genuinely offensive to put out to the public. You're just you're I did just, not like the Kissing Booth. You're yeah, just I agree. I mean, this was an '80s movie that this was so just so tone deaf. Like, come on, people. Netflix is in an interesting business position where they know that they can't. Everyone is going to have their own streaming service. There's a fucking Paramount Plus now. I didn't even know what Paramount was. Yeah, right. And now there's a now there's a plus. It's just whatever. They congl- even tried to do their own thing. Oh, they know? feel flat <laughs> on their face. Yeah, every well, conglomerate has their it. every major conglomerate has their streaming service and the streaming wars. Personally, my favorite one's HBO yeah. Max. I'll always be. I loved HBO Go before they took all the other libraries of warner brothers well now warner discovery um so much so much i mean you have the sopranos which i've just started but like really slow roll i'm a few episodes in in the sopranos oh you're in for a real treat well you're for a real treat dude it's the first season starts with the bad so funny yeah i mean it's like it's it's obviously a drama but it is no one prepared me to how funny the sopranos is of just like the all right, we iced this guy. Like, now I'm going to throw him in the dumpster. And, like, they realize, like, oh, people are actually wicked heavy. Like, I can't... <laughs> like, oh, fuck, do we leave him here? And it's just... Uh, 
it's so it's really dark funny but that's my kind of humor oh and yeah I just, like that and like the goodfellas type they are in that mold it's pretty much a black comedy i mean that's that's what i love i really uh, on my list to watch is the death of stalin because apparently that's like yeah. if you're into dark stuff apparently that's a stupidly funny movie so he's a great steve buscemi's in that I think. Yeah, Buscemi's in it. So that's how you uh, Jason know. Isaacs. Um, I mean, I, I just the one clip that is in my mind is like someone's talking to Isaacs, who's General Zukov, the hero of World War II. And so obviously, like Stalin died, and so everyone's like plotting and trying to figure out who's going to be the next leader. And like he's like going to Zukov, and he's like Zukov turns to him and it's like, "You understand that what you're saying is treason." I'm going to have to report this to the higher <laughs> government and to the party. And then you start talking like, you should see your fucking face. <laughs> like, so like, that's a hundred percent my kind of movie. Just a dark comedy about a bunch of Soviets trying to plot and navigate. Oh, absolutely wild. Oh but, man. What a great time. Well, this was, this was everything I wanted and more. Thank you so much for coming on again, giving us your wisdom and um, not being afraid to say your opinion either. You have any f- other final words, anything to plug before we uh, sign off? I don't know. I mean, blue sky's in a, a spot where we're either going to blow up or blow up. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a big turning point. So I'll let you know if it's caviar or ramen. But nothing really to plug. If you're liking the content, keep watching. If you hate it, make sure to drop those death threats in the TikTok comments. Um, and what are the, the engagement? Uh, and what are the accounts for that? Uh, it's all under Will Hessert. So YouTube, um, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, yeah, very original name. I know. Yeah, I couldn't think of a brand, so I'm like, whatever. My name. Here you go. Hey man, as long as they find you. That's the most important point. All right. As we continue to work our ways, as we talked off camera um, on our ways to interview Elon Musk, this was another great example of how good we will do it when we have that interview in the next decade. Yes, sir. It's coming, man. It's coming. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Will. Good luck. And um, I'll be talking to you really soon. Awesome. Talk to you soon, brother. It was a good conversation and productive conversation. Will Hesser not being afraid to put himself out there. Great job, my friend, as always. You were awesome on all levels. Good job, buddy. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at Pod, and we're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. And check out some of our content by typing in Productive Conversations Podcast on Reddit, YouTube Shorts, Facebook, on top of everything else. So again, thank you, Dolo, for making it all possible. So we're back with you on Wednesday with another show regarding the National Football League. We're going to review week four in the NFL and look ahead to week five. And then the next day, Thursday the 5th, 
We are going right into MLB postseason coverage. It's October. You know what that means. October baseball. The road to the World Series begins this Thursday. And my guy Alex Young is joining me to talk all things Major League Baseball and the playoffs. The energy will be high. The takes will be strong. The conversation will be meaningful as we talk all things baseball playoffs. Alex Young and I speak on all of that on Thursday. I will be covering the postseason all month long. Hopefully Alex is available for all the podcasts. Those are going to be sporadically, especially with the fact that we have the Mets and Yankees both clinching playoff berths and making a run for it. And I will be talking all the big meaningful games. I will be discussing what's going on with both the Mets and Yankees throughout their entire run. Maybe it'll be a Subway Series, maybe not. But pretty much after every big game, especially the elimination ones, and before each series, I will be talking all things MLB postseason. And like I said, hopefully Alex Young is there with me during the ride. He is a busy man who works hard, so there may be times he won't be able to do it. But regardless, you will hear from me and some other guests regarding MLB playoffs this October. Also this month, we will continue with our NFL coverage. Every Wednesday, you will see a show with me, Brian, and Alex Ranelio talking all things NFL. And also this month, we are going to have a lot of other podcasts, especially some in-studio guests, which you do not want to take the risk and miss. And you do not want to miss your chance to laugh, to cry, to say, wow, that was real in-studio guests throughout the month of October. And then we'll have more surprises along the way. So let's take it all in. Let's enjoy each other's company. And let's have an incredible month of October for this podcast and for your life with whatever you're about to do. So yes, I will see you on Wednesday. Thank you to William Hester for coming on the show. Thank you to Alex DeJesus for his contributions to this podcast. And thank you, the greatest fans and listeners in the world, for supporting us, for watching our reels, for downloading our podcast, for checking this out on YouTube. And just thank you for giving your time to us. And we will continue to brighten you up and brighten your day. We love each and every single one of you, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Don't forget to check in on your friends and family. My name is Matt Brown. I'm the host of the Productive Conversations podcast, and I'll see you soon. All right. Much love, everybody. Peace.